Hey there, so mates, plenty to talk about on this Thursday. We're almost back to the weekend. Yep. Hold tight, finish strong. Welcome to Fox News Black Report. We're following the latest in DeMar Hamlin's effort on Capitol Hill to save the lives of students and the woman who says she was convicted from her home because she's black. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm Brandon Hudson. Hey, I'm here for the Coraline Corte. Yeah, it is good to be here with you, you one so more much. time or many times. I don't care how many times <laughs> it has to be. But look, I'm here. And look, we were talking about the black church that is demanding payment hmm. from the Proud Boys and what Meek Mill is doing to foster peace between cultures. Look, these are our stories that impact our people. Our news, our views, and our voice. So let's get into our top conversation for today. Family, friends, and other mourners gathered at uh, Virginia Church to remember uh, Ivo Otenio, uh, a funeral service. Uh, Otenio died in police custody earlier this month after he was pinned to the floor and smothered by sheriff deputies and several others while being admitted into a mental hospital. Attorney Ben Crump made remarks at the Reverend uh, Al Sharpton delivered the eulogy. Take a look. Let me say that when Ben Crump called me and explained to me what happened to Ivo, and I talked later that day to Carolyn and the brother, it seemed like a, another of a litany of ugly stories that we keep hearing. Black people in America have mental health issues. We cannot treat them like criminal issues. The determinable factor, the determining factor of whether you live or die when confronted by the police, when you're having a mental health crisis, shouldn't be relegated to the color of your skin, whether you live or you face a death sentence. Mm, an autopsy for Otiendo is still pending. Seven deputies and three hospital workers have been charged with second degree murder in his death. Yeah, so Al Sharpton, he uh, he was speaking a lot of truth yeah. with his, uh, his his remarks there mm -hmm, at the funeral. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so has Ben Crump. And this is, continues to be an issue, I think, you know, after George Floyd and the verdict for the officer who killed him. Yes. We thought that we had reached a milestone, mm -hmm. that this was a new day. I remember people just celebrating on college campuses in the city and at black old businesses. And then here we are years later, well, three, just yeah. three years later. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had Tyree Nichols, and now we have, you know, Al Sharpton and Ben Crump speaking, speaking at another yeah. uh, funeral. And I don't know if because of what's happening, you know, in the headlines right now, in particular with uh, the crisis in Nashville uh, and, and uh, maybe the VP being uh, overseas and, and that coverage, but you're not hearing a lot about the OTNDO case as you did Tyree Nichols. It is just as brutal. Um, you also didn't see a lot of funeral coverage, which is why here at Fox Soul, Fox Soul's Black Report, uh, we make sure that we're talking about the, the events and the headlines that most 
most aren't, and in particular, you know, with our culture, our soulmates, and our community. So we were glad we were able to to highlight just in case uh, some of our soulmates did miss it because uh, folks have not been talking about this. Because when you don't talk about it, things get forgotten. That's right. And it continues. That's right. So we got to break that cycle. Indeed. All right, so a lawsuit filed by Black Lives Matter Grassroots in September 2022 is putting the leadership of Black Lives Matter organization in question. So this lawsuit alleges that uh, Shalamaya Bowers, head of the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, used the organization as his personal piggy bank by siphoning more than $10 million from donors and stealing control of the organization. Now, the defendants have filed a motion to dismiss on anti-slap grounds, arguing that their activities, such as fundraising and social media messaging, are protected speech. Now, reports say the hearing continued on Wednesday, with the judge expected to issue a ruling next week. A man who spent 16 years in prison for a wrongful conviction of raping writer Alice Siebold has settled a lawsuit against New York State for $5.5 million. This is according to his lawyers. Anthony Broadwater's conviction for raping uh, Siebold in 1981 was overturned in 2021, leading to the settlement being signed last week by the parties involved. Siebold apologized to Broadwater in a 2021 statement. Broadwater has has filed a federal civil uh, rights lawsuit against uh, the particular county of uh, Syracuse and others who were involved in prosecuting him. Leslie Furcon, she settled a lawsuit with the city of LA, La Mesa, California, excuse me, for $10 million after being hit by a beanbag round fired by police during a protest in 2020. Now, the incident left Furcon partially blind with severe headaches causing her to drop out of college. Furcon will need reconstructive surgery to seal the hole left in her skull mm. and will never have vision in her left eye. She says that the officer violated her First Amendment right to protest despite her injuries, though. Furcon says that she doesn't regret protesting police brutality and that she has a First Amendment right to speak out. The officer's wrongdoing was not admitted by the district attorney or police department. Well, how ironic is that to be out there uh, peacefully protesting mm -hmm. from from what I understand, peacefully protesting uh, police brutality yes. and, and the wrongdoings of those uh, in blue that don't get called out. Right. And to be uh, victimized by it. I mean, it's, it's just so ironic. You know, it is sad to, to hear uh, how her life has been so very altered mm -hmm. and how she's had to change a lot of her life to accommodate her, her injury, her permanent uh, injury. And we hope the best for her recovery and her healing. But she deserves uh, every little bit that uh, has or and or is coming to her. Uh, you should be able to go and protest peacefully and, and go come back like you came. Hopefully this does not, you know, quiet her voice or mm -hmm. anyone else's voice who mm -hmm. goes out there and tries to protest what's wrong in their community. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, let's move on here. The Episcopal Diocese of New York has issued an apology for its role in the slave trade and pledged $1 million towards education and community work as a part of reparations. Now, during a special service, the uh, Reverend Andrew MLDC uh, expressed regret for the church's involvement in the oppression and exploitation of enslaved people. The bishop outlined a three-step process of lamentation, apology, and reparations, acknowledging that African-American slaves had even built churches in the city. 
Now, this apologies was welcomed by the Reverend Michael B. Curry, the first black bishop of the Episcopal Church to hold that position. This story kind of piqued my interest. I've mm -hmm. been an Episcopalian, you know, all of uh, all of my life baptized in it. And there's a church here, St. Matthew, St. Joseph Episcopal Church, one of the largest uh, African-American uh, congregations um, really anchored by uh, Caribbean folks yeah. who came on over from the West Indies. And so it's always that church has always played an integral part in uh, the the movement and advancement of, of black people and but uh, like a lot of historical churches especially in the north as the freed folks yeah. came up here we have a very torrid gray history uh, and so we accept this apology I don't think there'll be ever an apology big enough or paycheck big enough to undo what's been done but you know it's a start it's a start it's a start and this is what you like to see from your church because at the end of the day the church is rooted in forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And so for a lot of these churches that aren't as transparent and mm -hmm. try to sweep things under the rub, rub, uh, rug, rug, excuse me, <laughs> um, you like to see this from your church. Mm -hmm. And then the next step you want to see is what can be done to make the community better for future generations. Because uh, as you know, and, and I know, yeah. the, the church is one of the foundations. That's it. Uh, in the black community, the, the church and our black women, those yeah. are the two foundations you in our community. come on no, now. No. You, did, you yeah. didn't get a whole bunch of new soulmates <laughs> saying that one. All right, look, uh, Buffalo Bills player Damar Hamlin, he joins a bipartisan group of lawmakers on Capitol Hill to introduce the Access to AEDs Act. Now, this mm. bill would provide CPR and AED training grants for elementary and secondary schools, purchase AEDs for schools and create awareness campaigns and cardiac emergency response plans. The 25-year-old safety has experienced cardiac arrest himself in prime time during a football game and credits the use of an AED as one factor that helped save his life during an NFL game. Now, Hamlin hopes the bill will ensure that schools are prepared and trained to respond in a time of crisis as well as provide equal access to emergency response for all children. And you love to see something positive come from something that was so negative. I remember yes. watching this game oh, uh, with my mom and my kids mm -hmm. and I'd never really seen anything like that before in an NFL game. And I've been watching football for most of my life. Mm -hmm. And to see the emotion on his players' faces and to see the uh, his comeback story, um, just not necessarily coming back to the game of football, but right. just coming back from a uh, from death. Yeah, what could have been catastrophic. Yeah, and that he is using his voice to yeah. be out there and be an advocate. I think this is much bigger than his NFL career um, and this is life changing. Yeah, this is life changing stuff for a lot of school communities, and they need to do this in the workplace, yeah. in the church, and everywhere else. And I'm figuring folks are still asking, wondering if he'll ever make it back to the field. Mm -hmm. Big question, big question mark there. But if he doesn't, he is truly now a vessel yeah. for a whole different type of messaging by way of his work on the field. It's true. I mean, we talked about this before. Yeah. When one, when there's one guy gives you a dead end, yeah. he reroutes you in another direction. Absolutely. The best to him. All right, let's uh, move on to Vice President Kamala Harris uh, visits a recording studio in Ghana with actors Idris Elba and Shirley Ralph as a part of her week-long tour of Africa to highlight the growing creative economy and the links between artists in Africa and the U.S. During the visit, Ralph performed and addressed a group of young Ghanaian artists and members of the press. It is in spaces like this that artists find their voices 
perfect their art so that they are able to bring it out to the world. And we are very happy to be here with you today as we support each of you in your individual art as artists, as singers, as skateboarders, as those who have the imagination to say we're going to fly to the moon with our art. We encourage you and it is wonderful to see you in a space like this where you take the time to invest in yourselves. Come on now, looking and sounding like a goddess. Man, she better run for oh, president. She needs to do uh, something. Yeah. She's on her way. So, of course, you know, the visit has some intention here. It's to boost Harris's uh, foreign policy credentials and visibility ahead of her expected 2024 bid. Uh, Harris also held a bilateral meeting with uh, the president of that country uh, to discuss various issues, including security, human rights, democracy, and debt reduction. So she is crisscrossing all across uh, Ghana yeah. and other parts of Africa to really drive home a message that it sounds like her, her and her people are hoping will resonate back here in the U.S., probably in particular with African-American soulmates like you and me. Look, we talked about this yesterday. We just hope that whatever she has gotten from her trip to Africa, mm -hmm. she takes with her or brings it over here to the United States and uses it mm -hmm. uh, as another vessel. Mm -hmm. Because you can go to Africa, you can take videos and pictures, you can have with Idris Elba, Shirley Ralph, you can do that all day long. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, if you can bring something here mm -hmm. and it benefits us, our soulmates and the rest of the country, then, uh, you should have no problem in 2024. Yeah. And maybe it might reshape some of her thoughts. I know she lost a lot of people when she had mentioned and felt like, you know, America was not a racist country. She kind of, you know, some people kind of fell off just a little bit. Yeah. And so maybe, uh, you know, going to, to Ghana and, and, and visiting the slave post and really understanding and tapping into the emotion as we saw her yesterday, she was very emotional as delivering remarks. Maybe it might reshape her a bit. Um, with, with, with that thinking and, and help with some of the policy uh, and laws that need to be changed to, to um, you know, help the lives of not just black folks, but all people of color who still struggle, you know, for just, for just simple basic equality. Time will tell. Yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. All right, so this sounds like, like something out of a movie. A Nigerian senator and his wife have been found guilty of organ trafficking after attempting to obtain a kidney for their daughter. Wow. So listen to this. They trafficked a 21-year-old street trader to the UK with the promise of money and employment, but did not disclose that the victim had to give up a kidney. The medical examiner became suspicious before the operation and halted the procedure. Reports say that the victim was then left sleeping on the street mm. for three days before alerting the police. The couple worked alongside a Nigerian doctor who was also found guilty to trafficking and harvesting organs. That sounds like a Nollywood, like yeah. you said, a Nollywood yeah. script, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, um, you know, just when you think we hear all that we've heard in our country, yeah. there are things that are, I wouldn't say uh, unimaginable, mm -hmm. but things you wouldn't necessarily think about that are happening in other countries. Yeah. And for a guy to just be discarded like mm -hmm. that after they, they halted the procedure, mm -hmm. Uh, and then just be left there for three days. Mm -hmm. um, it's mind boggling and it really puts into perspective uh, maybe just how fortunate 
some of us really do have it here in, yeah. in America. But coming back stateside though, Brandon, you know, we've always talked about amongst ourselves, amongst the village, the block, about uh, organ harvesting yes. and how black people, young black people, boys, girls in particular, young, are, are targeted uh, because, you know, they would have those healthy organs that other folks would need. Like in the movie and, Get Out. Yeah, and, and some people were talking about maybe that, is, that are some, some of that go missing uh, and um, why they go missing that maybe we haven't entertained or looked at, if you will, this real possibility that this, this is ongoing. I mean, we, we talk a lot and focus a lot on sex trafficking, and yes, that is that is a real deal. But maybe a harvest, uh, organ harvesting, should be something that we should look at as well in regards to why we go missing. That is an interesting that was, point. No, some things it, that we come with as, as blacks, you know, that, that others don't have, and uh, you know, that that's scientific. Yeah. And, I'm just saying that could be a possibility. Yeah, it is room for conversation there. All right, so coming up, a mother of six. Mm -hmm. uh, she is thrown out of her apartment by an angry landlord. Yeah, what the mom says is the real reason behind her eviction. We'll talk about that and more coming up on Foxo's Black Report. We welcome you back to the conversation. You're watching Foxhole's Black Report. So let's get into a report published by the uh, employment platform from Oyster, revealing that black knowledge workers prioritize their mental well-being more than any other racial group. So almost 60% mm -hmm. of the black respondents, so three out of every five, surveyed chose mental well-being as their top priority. Black workers in the U.S., Western Europe and Canada have been disproportionately affected by external factors such as rising costs of living and global health concerns, which impede their ability to focus. More black workers struggle to, uh, you know, live up to the cost of living and uh, safe, uh, inclusive work environments compared to their white colleagues. The report also emphasizes the need for companies to better support their black employees. I think we have a whole nother set of criteria that we deal with on top of just being a part of the rat race in corporate America. Right. You know, you, you put a little melanin on top of that and there's some specific things that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. This is why it is important for a lot of employers <laughs> yeah. to understand that when you have a diverse work environment, mm -hmm. so a diverse office, mm -hmm. that you cannot compare especially your white employees mm -hmm. to your employees of color because you're probably likely looking at two different backgrounds mm -hmm. if you haven't had the chance to get to know them. Yeah. And so you don't know what somebody's dealing with at the house. Mm -hmm. They may be dealing with a whole bunch of family problems. Right. Whereas some people may not just may not have to worry about money where it's not so much a priority. Yeah. So this is why it is key for employers to really pay attention to details like that. And the best way to remedy that is just have a conversation mm -hmm. with your employees. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Treat and them as people. That's or all the headlines that, that have yeah. been ongoing. You know, we, we definitely, we're on the front lines of reporting it, so we take that in. But, you know, everybody takes in those headlines. I'm, and black people in particular, you know, when you see something like a George Floyd, and then you have to get up and go to work the next day, and let's say maybe your work environment isn't as diverse as it should be. You could be one of very few people of color or blacks, you know, in, in the office or in the, in the plant or whatever the case may be. That is very tough to maneuver because then you got some looking at you like, oh, yeah. and then some are looking at you like, are you mad at me? Can I? So it's, it's, it puts people in a very awkward position. And I think you're right. It starts with good solution based, uh, open minded conversation to really hear 
what you know we have to say and how being in a corporate or work environment is different for us. Yes, we're workers, but it is different for us. If you want to be successful, make your workplace somewhere people want to enjoy going mm -hmm. to and not somewhere they want to avoid and count down to vacation right, months, right. months in advance. All right, so a trial began in San Francisco federal court on Monday to determine the damages Tesla Incorporated will pay to black elevator operator Owen Diaz, who won a lawsuit in 2021 that accused the electric automaker's flagship assembly plant of subjecting him to severe racial harassment. Now, last year, a judge reduced the $137 million verdict that the jury awarded to Diaz to $15 million, leading to a new trial on damages. The trial is expected to last five days, and both sides will be barred from presenting new evidence or calling new witnesses. All right, here's that eviction story we were talking about before the break. Let's go to Ohio. Dermisha Pickett is suing her landlord, man by the name of Sergi Briskman, for allegedly evicting her because of her race. Mm. Now, Briskman reportedly told Pickett he did not want any African-Americans in the unit at the time. The eviction complaint gave Pickett a 30-day notice to vacate the home, claiming her lease was close to expiring, but Pickett says she was not notified. Now, back in February, Briskman reportedly texted Pickett, saying he was evicting her because she is black and would rather rent to a white family. Pickett has six children and says he had been giving, uh, been giving her issues and problems uh, since 20. 21. Mm. Uh, it doesn't matter if you live in the South, if you live on the East Coast, West Coast, uh, racists are everywhere. Mm -hmm. And this is Ohio, the Midwest, and, and I've heard stories of Ohio and, and it, you know people who live out there, mm -hmm. but this is something that uh, when it comes to housing, why we can't have not just affordable housing, mm -hmm. but adequate and and maybe uh, maybe that's not the word but maybe comfortable safe housing adequate safe right. clean housing yeah. and my my thing is as she moves forward you know with her accusations i'm hoping she has proof whether that be the text messages whether that be you know maybe conversations that she recorded uh, maybe some paperwork to really help prove her case um and then you know with being the mom of, of six kids yeah. if it's not this place i hope she does find you know clean affordable housing uh for her family. It doesn't sound like uh, even if he did let her stay or, or legally she's able to stay. I don't know if I'd want to stay, uh, you know, with that landlord and that kind of energy, knowing the way he thinks according to her accusation. So we just hope the best in, in her finding new housing as well. I just want to know why are people out there that are just so like, I don't want this person, this, that, and the other, like, shouldn't them? It's kind of be ignorance. Yeah. It's, you know, just, just, just ignorance. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I know the answer, but it's just, yeah. it's just, just it always flat out ignorance. doesn't sit well with me. Right. No. All right. Virginia teenager Emily Ocasio uh, created a, an AI program that used archival news articles to measure media biases. Mm. And here's what she found, that black homicide victims were less likely to be humanized in news coverage. Her program analyzed FBI homicide records from 1976 to 1984 and their corresponding coverage in the Boston Globe. Now, after analyzing over 5,000 entries, she found that black men under 18 were 30% less likely to receive humanizing coverage than their white counterparts. Now, her research earned her second place in the Regeneron Science Talent Search 
a competition for high school students. Wow. Only second place. Wow. We, we just talked about some high school students who who solved a 2,000 year old yes. math problem. You know, it just brings and gives me hope that the generations after us, for me, it's gonna be the millennials and Gen Z, that there are some superstars. There are young people who, I mean, we hear all of the craziness surrounding young right. people and you're so irresponsible and they're thinking the crazy, but there are some who just give uh, folks like me and older, you know, uh, some hope. And, you know, for her to choose to, you know, delve into something so heavy and just prove, you know, what folks have been talking about, you know, time and time again. You know, listen, as a black man, I think you are uh, an incredible threat. And when you are at your best, you, you become even more threatening. And why you have to be a threat, you know, that's a whole nother show. And that is why, you know, they trip you up mm -hmm. uh, to, to kind of keep you under that thumb. And, and so you, you just have to continue to understand that and yeah. navigate your life in a way where you can still shine like yeah, you do. making a black man blush. <laughs> hey, look, I appreciate yeah, your comments. I'm serious. Uh, look, I, I, I think when it comes to the generations that come after us, we mm -hmm. always look like, we always look at them sideways because mm -hmm. they're not maybe doing the things that we did the same way. That's right. And maybe That's they're because they're point. doing the things a different way. And, and maybe we just need to sometimes step back mm -hmm. and let that generation, as, the, as the kids say, cook. Let that generation <laughs> cook right now and let them like do the that. things that they want to do. So it's just a matter of there are people out there and, and we love these stories because they uplift the community That's and they right. bring uh, attention and awareness to things that need to be, you know, have the, have the spotlight on. And, um, and we appreciate that. Mm -hmm. So the future is bright. Yeah. Out of the mouths of babes. Yeah. All right. Up next, black men and voting and how it can affect the outcome of a political race. Yeah, so insight is being offered mm -hmm. by into how Democrats won in one state and lost in another thanks to black male voters. Hmm. We'll be right back. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. Welcome back, Soulmates, as we power through this uh, Thursday. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. So let's get into this uh, new study that was recently released, actually this month, warning that racial and ethnic diversity in universities at universities could decline if institutions get rid of affirmative action and give more weight to factors such as socioeconomic class of applicants. This is Zach Mabel, who's the co-author of the Georgetown University Center on Education and the Workforce Study, stated that, quote, without race-conscious admissions, the role selective colleges play in uh, creating equal opportunity in our society is likely to diminish. Yeah, two pending U.S. Supreme Court cases could decide the future of affirmative action in higher education. Last fall, the high court heard oral arguments in cases that challenged affirmative action admissions policies at Harvard and the University of North Carolina, which used race and ethnicity, among other factors. Well, a recent survey conducted by nonpartisan organizations Black Men Decide offers valuable insights into the role of black male voters in shaping the outcome of the 2022 Senate race in Georgia, as well as lessons for future campaigns. So the survey polled over 1,500 uh, black men who voted in five southeastern states and found that while 66% of black men in Georgia were contacted by a campaign during the last election cycle, less than half of respondents in the other four states reported mm. being contacted. The co-founder of Black Men Decide believes this helps explain why Democrats won in Georgia but lost in Florida, highlighting the importance of direct outreach 
to black male voters, and this is very important because I think at the end of the day, look, we have all this technology, and we always talk about being a, a mm -hmm. community, that, a country that's divided. Um, at the end of the day, if you just go to someone and you have a conversation with them, mm -hmm. that does a, a hell of a lot more than just trying to, maybe even you know, just a phone call, but a phone call works too, mm -hmm. but phone calls and just talking to people and saying, hey, here's why you should vote. And I'm talking, when I say talk, I mean face to face, mm -hmm. not on social media. If you do that, you will be able to work wonders. And I think if you go back to 2008, when Barack Obama mm -hmm. uh, ran, mm -hmm. and he was going door to door and he knocking was. on doors. He was. That's what really helped his profile at the end of the day. Yeah, it was a, it was a foot, foot thing for him. Yes. It, it really was. Listen, um, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, the, the black vote as far as women are concerned. We, we a lot of focus on black women, and you just said earlier how yeah. we save the world, and we do. However, you guys are just as important, and, you know, it would be beneficial to not only you know Democrats but to Republicans too mm -hmm. because you know stats will also show that black men sometimes have a tendency uh, to go to go red you know to to, to do the elephant uh, if you will and so that might be a benefit to Republicans to really hone in uh, on uh, that black male vote but I think across the board uh, all black voters at some level have been ignored in particular that as far as a subset is concerned I think black male black males have really been put on the back burner and your vote has really really been dismissed and and that's unfortunate I just hope that for either side uh, Democrat Republican progressive independent however you vote green libertarian uh, that they are used uh, the, the black men who vote are looked at as people mm -hmm. and not just statistics mm -hmm. I think a lot of times especially we see this uh, during our, our elections we, we see it both the Republican and Democrat they, they, they try to see the black community as mm -hmm. a check mark and uh, we have to see more than that. Yeah, it's about valuing you, though. Yes. They have to value you yes. first. If you want my vote, you got to value me. That's right. Washington, D.C.'s Metropolitan AME uh, Church is seeking a massive $22 million punitive judgment against the far-right Proud Boys for destroying the church's Black Lives Matter sign. This happened back in 2020. Now, the church argues the $22 million is justified as punishment for what the church's legal team called a flagrant act of racially charged intimidation and to deter the Proud Boys from similar actions in the future. Now, the uh, church's lawsuit concerns events that took place about a month before the Capitol riot back on uh, January 6th of that year when the Proud Boys took to D.C. in droves as a part of the so-called Million MAGA March. This goes to show that uh, hopefully crime does not pay. Yeah. And racism and hate as well. Yeah, especially hate crime, because, you know, you, you're going to you're going to suffer the consequences criminally. And it looks like uh, the Proud Boys are going to have to pay up if, in fact, they're able to pay up. But, you know, what's always puzzled me about the Proud Boys, you know, with them being, you know, radical and right and, and white. I think I know is where this that is going. Is that the leader? Yep. Uh, looks a little beige to me. Yeah. Uh, I haven't gone as far to kind of look up his background, but every time I see him, I'm just so puzzled. Uh, and it reminds me of the skit, uh, Dave Chappelle's skit, <laughs> when yeah, it was the I blind racist yeah, guy. Yeah. He was, I, I just, you know, listen, 
I just don't get it. Except for uh, he's not blind. Right. Uh, he is a person he, of color, he, though. He clearly, this guy, this leader, is clearly intentional yeah. about uh, where where he where he where he lies with his with his thoughts and, and beliefs and things of that nature. But I always get puzzled by that. It's an unfortunate lesson it that really not everybody is, is for us. Mm -hmm. Everybody who looks like us is for us. All right, so Edward Gardner, the philanthropist and co-founder of Soft Sheen Products Hair Care Company, has passed away at age 98. Now, mm -hmm. Gardner and his wife, Betty Ann, started the business in 1964, becoming one of the largest black-owned beauty brands in the country. Aside from his success in business, Gardner was also an activist, civic leader, and a patron of the arts. So he raised $300,000 with Soft Sheen's resources 40 years ago when it was way more valuable than that, mm -hmm. leading to the election of Harold Washington yep. as Chicago's first black mayor. Private family services planned and donations to Chicago State University mm -hmm. can be made in lieu of flowers. Brandon, you see the flower, you see the flowers, you see the advertisements, I you see, see the commercials. Honey, and, and your Saturday morning, especially if you watch Soul Trade, was not complete. That is true. Without a soft sheen commercial. No, it, <laughs> it was not. I could tell you, just for you, you Soft Sheen, yeah. I, I could go on and on. It's it's a part of our, it, hey, if you didn't use a Soft Sheen product, male or female, yeah. you might need to turn in your black card. <laughs> you, somebody had a jerry curl, somebody wore braids, somebody right. did something. Yeah, all right. Still ahead, Meek Mill is making some major moves to foster peace. Yeah, so we'll tell you what he's doing to end uh, anti-Semitism actions in our country. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. So welcome back to Fox News Black Report. I am Brandon Hudson in for Nick Corte, and let's get back to these headlines here. Tory Lanez <sighs> has filed an appeal <laughs> to throw out his conviction for shooting Megan Thee Stallion, claiming that prosecutors tried to smear his name with irrelevant evidence. <laughs> During the trial, prosecutors submitted a shirtless photo of Lanes with a firearm tattoo on his chest saying it was merely for identification purposes, mm. but defense lawyers say prosecutors used the photo to show a fondness for weapons. Lanes' lawyers also says uh, the jury heard an 80-minute interview with Kelsey Harris. You remember that was Megan's friend who was in the car that night of the shooting. Yes, the audio was damning, but Harris later recanted a lot of what she said. Lanes is facing 22 years in prison for three felony firearms violations and is scheduled to be sentenced next month. B, this, I, I tried to follow, but this okay. gave, it was serious matter, but this trial gave me so much of a headache. I had to pull up from it when it was happening. I can what think of a lot you? of things that I could tattoo on my body. I don't have any <laughs> tattoos, but I can think of a lot of things that tattoo my body that would identify me. Um, Probably not a weapon. Yeah. But I can understand why prosecutors use that mm -hmm. in this instance because say, hey. it fits. Mm -hmm. I mean, why else would you have a weapon tattooed on your body mm -hmm. if you didn't have an appreciation? Most people who put things on their body mm -hmm. in ink mm -hmm. have an appreciation for yeah. whatever they put yeah. on and, their body. And obviously the judge found it to be admissible. Right. They, they allowed it. It, it. it just happened during trial. But a lot of ins and outs, a lot of uh, corners, you know, Lanes may have an argument with the young lady recanting a lot of what she said, maybe because her and Megan started to have a beef. Right. I don't know. I'm just, it's still cloudy. It's still very I, cloudy I would hope that would be over yeah, soon. Yeah. Uh, but it looks like it's just going to keep know, going. And this is a soap opera mm -hmm. that... Uh, 
still is, well, yeah. it, it keeps giving. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The uh, Essence uh, Festival is returning for its 29th annual summer event and right, will now. celebrate 50 years of hip hop with Megan the Stallion and Dougie Fresh as uh, the big headliners, along with Jermaine Dupri and the So So Deaf artist uh, will hit the stage to celebrate the label's 30th anniversary as well. Yeah, other artists that are set to appear, uh, Wizkid, um, Monica, Coco Jones, and uh, additional talent, Lauren Hill is also uh, yeah. gonna be on there. So in-person and virtual hosts include Dion Cole, Afion Crockett, and Spice Adams with DJs Spinderella, Kid mm -hmm. Capri, Clark Kent. 29th Annual Essence Festival of Culture will be a four-day event that is kicking off on June 29th in New Orleans. Yeah, now, I might got that mixed up, but definitely Lauren Hill is the, the big, big yeah, headliner. Yeah, as yeah. She celebrates 25 years of the miseducation that of Lauren Hill. That is crazy mm -hmm. that that album came out that long ago, and that has really been her only album. Yeah, but she's still eating off that I night. know, I know, because the music is so iconic on that album. But I hate the first thing that comes to mind when you heal, hear Lauren Hill has been scheduled. Is she's, if she's gonna show she's, up. Uh, she's on the <laughs> clock. Uh, you know, but they say, uh, they're know, saying lately she, she there, has been on time. Yeah, okay. I'd like to see that. Ain't nobody waiting around an hour and a half for, 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 for the queen now. But, I, you know, we love her, but girl, you better be on time. All right, well, speaking of uh, Lauren Hill, one of her mm. former bandmates, former Fuji's member, Praz Michael, uh, is standing trial in Washington, D.C., accused of global campaign finance conspiracy. Now, he allegedly conspired with Malaysian financier uh, Joe Lowe to secretly transfer over $21.6 wow. from foreign entities to accounts which were then allegedly used to fund Barack Obama's 2012 presidential campaign. Uh, Praz denies all charges. The jury selection began on Monday with Lowe currently hiding out in China mm. and not standing trial. You know, I was I, I, reading this before because we've talked about this before, and now it's advanced to um, you know jury selection and going to trial. But how do you go from foo la 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 to yeah. hanging out with these high end, you know, innocent till proven guilty, but high end international financiers? How did he get in the room? How did he get in the circle? Yeah. There's a connection uh, with a donation to the Obama campaign and things like. I just want to know his story, his journey. It's unfortunate that. that he is, you know, in this position. He's claiming, of course, that he is innocent and he is innocent until proven otherwise. But Pras, how did you get into these rooms? He's come a long way from yeah. ghetto superstar. Uh, and, <laughs> yeah. and it's in the wrong direction. Yeah, yeah. it so, appears to be. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and so hopefully this gets resolved in a way mm -hmm. that is beneficial for him and that he can learn from this. And this may this be a lesson yeah. to a lot of other people, especially mm -hmm. uh, young hip hop artists who become entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Be careful who you deal with. Yeah, so we're, we're familiar with this guy's journey, at least most of us should be. Meek Mill joins New England Patriots CEO Robert Kraft's anti Semitism initiative as the billionaire is pledging $25 million to combat anti-Semitism through his organization Foundation to Combat Anti-Semitism. Yeah. That's real simple. That aims to educate people about anti-Semitism. Now, Kraft and Mill uh, are not new to fighting against injustice when Mill was serving a prison sentence for, you remember, popping a willy back in 2017. 
which violated his probation. Kraft led the hashtag Free Meek campaign and founded the Reform Alliance along with Mill and Jay-Z, a couple other uh, folks, to change the whole parole system. Kraft seems to, you know, be genuine and has uh, been pretty consistent, at least in the fight against injustice, which speaks to that strong relationship that you that you uh, see here with uh, Meek Mill. Yeah, I was I was fortunate to be in New York when they announced mm. that uh, I, I covered it as a story. Um, it was it was pretty powerful scene. Uh, you had Robert Kraft there, Jay-Z was there, mm -hmm. Michael Rubin, yep. who uh, at the time was uh, a, a, an owner of the Philadelphia 76ers. And that's really how Meek mm -hmm. Mill um, got connected with Robert Kraft was through Michael Rubin. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, they talked about a lot of people who had this, were in the same situation as Meek Mill. Mm -hmm. How you know he popped a wheelie, but it was back. He had, he ended up in prison yeah. for that, yeah. based on a, a previous charge. And a lot of people uh, in the justice system go through the same thing. Mm -hmm. And they they would get like a a, a, a you know a ticket on their mm -hmm. car, mm -hmm. speeding ticket or a parking ticket. And then they'd end up, they'd end up having up. to go get mm -hmm. locked up because it was a violation of some did sort. Did you feel the sincerity, in particular from, from Robert Kraft? I did. You felt, you I felt did. that, um, being in that room with him? Yeah, and, and I think, you know, and I talk about Michael Rubin, and one of the things that he always talks about is how he befriended Meek Mill, and then one of the things that Meek Mill said off the bat mm -hmm. was, oh, look, Mike, there are two different Americas. Yeah. And, and Michael will say, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? And then... You know, Meek gets locked up, and then Michael starts to see and understand, and then that's how a lot of people got involved. Now, there will be pictures of Robert Kraft partying mm -hmm. with Meek Mill and Jay-Z, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. uh, at the end of the day, the work that they're doing mm -hmm. is actually for the betterment of the community. Yeah, and they seem to both understand that yes. a lot better now. Yes. All right. All right, so coming up on Fox Hills Black Report, we are celebrating black women Black woman excellence. Yeah, that's right. We will introduce you to the first black woman to achieve this accomplishment with a major uh, Detroit franchise. She'll uh, tell us how she got there next. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. And we want to welcome you back to Fox Soul's Black Report in the kitchen. Everything happens in the kitchen. Uh, we're celebrating Women's History Month and Black Excellence today. We have a special guest, entrepreneur extraordinaire and a credit consultant as well, Ebony Cochran, who recently made a historic move by becoming a Little Caesars franchisee, making her the first black woman in the Detroit area to accomplish this. Ebony, welcome. Thank so you. look, let's dive into your journey here. Uh, learn more about your motivation, your inspiration, and again, welcome to the show. We appreciate you having you. Thank you guys yes. for having me. Yeah, this is exciting. thanks for making some time today. So uh, let's start with a little bit more about what inspires you to want to become a franchisee. I was reading that this was a birthday gift to yourself and yes. you wanted to establish a legacy for your daughter. Talk about it. Yes, so last year, um, this was a big thing for me to do something different. Mm -hmm. So with business, every business that I've started on my own, I had to figure out everything on my own. So I knew franchising would be very good just because it came with instructions, right? right? It right. tells me how to do everything. Um, but Little Caesars was near and dear because we eat it all the time. Mm -hmm. My mom and mm -hmm. sister actually worked at a Little Caesars when I was in wow. middle school. So this brand has been in my family have my life right mm -hmm. so I wanted to you know go into the franchise business and I wanted to go into one that was near and dear to my heart mm -hmm. and 
this is what it was. Yeah. It was Little Caesars. Yeah. So as Detroiters, that's, that's we, we like you say, we grow up on that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Brandy, you gonna start asking questions? I'm okay. Go I'm ahead. Like, yeah, uh, so Ebony, look, there's not a lot of, of women that look like you in the room. Yeah. So look, when what challenges do you face in this industry, and how have you overcome them so far? Um, I always tell people that a lot of times we just disqualify ourselves. Mm -hmm without even applying. So even for me, when I looked at, you know, what the requirements were, I knew on paper I qualified, but in my mind, I just still felt like I was gonna be denied. Right. Um, but every room that I walk in is literally just me that looks like me. Mm -hmm. But this, is, this was something that was good for my daughter to see, for my mm. family, my peers to see, and for people outside to see that, you know, someone that looks like us can go in one of these rooms. We can be a franchisee. Mm -hmm. They do accept us, right? Yeah, yeah. So this was not just a move for me. This was a move for my community and a move for my family. Yeah, you had mentioned that your, your daughter was, you know, your driving force, yeah. you know, behind you making this accomplishment. How old is she? Is she able to take in, you know, all that you have accomplished? And, and what do you hope to set in motion, you know, for her life? Because this, this can, this can, we're talking generational wealth yeah. here. We can set her up. Now. So I know I look 20, but I have an 18 year old. You, mm, what? Yes, she's 18. She's mm, a senior something. in high school this you look year. Fantastic. Um, and it's crazy. I remember I didn't tell her I had put an offer in on mm -hmm, one, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. she had me take her to one to apply. And I really? thought that was just like, crazy. okay, this is okay. This is what I need to be doing. Mm -hmm. then. Yeah. Um, and then when I told her, she wasn't as excited as I wanted her to be. And I, I asked her why, and she's just like, well, this is something that you would do. This is mm. not even, you know, I've been an entrepreneur her whole life. Mm -hmm. So this is all she's really seen me do. Mm -hmm. So this wasn't as shocking to her. Mm -hmm. um, the bad news is she never came to work for me. <laughs> <laughs> she still has. She wanted to keep, you know, boss and yeah. mom, well, you know, a little right. separate. So I, can, I can see that. I understand, yeah. but. Yeah. Um, she's excited though. Yeah. She's excited to, you know, help on the back end, not mm -hmm. more so in the store. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, she's got some growing into it to do right. if yeah. she chooses, you know, uh, to do that. 18 is still a little young. She's, she's, she's still doing on her, her thing. way to college. Yeah. I have a three year old also. Okay. So okay. maybe, you know. Maybe that'd be your star. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Star but kid. 18 year old, she's on her way to college. So. <laughs> okay. Well, we already blazing a trail, mm -hmm. so it's just up to her to follow. Yeah, yeah there you yeah, go. Yeah. And that's, that's my hope. Uh, yeah. Now, look, a lot of businesses took a hit during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, how did that affect your decision to invest and what advice would you give people, especially after we've learned what we've learned the past you know, two, three years on investing? So the thing that I, I learned about um, the pandemic is that people are going to eat mm. regardless. Yes, so that played a role in the decision on, you know, specifically what industry to go in mm -hmm. with franchising. Um, but. For my other businesses that's in the financial industry, it didn't take a hit at all. I mean, mm -hmm. we actually excelled during that time because people took a, a deeper dive into their yep. finances, into their credit. So they really wanted to work on it. So the pandemic was not bad for everybody, mm -hmm. um, but it did kind of teach me that people, regardless, they're going to eat. Mm -hmm. So Ebony, you, you've established this legacy you know, for yourself. Uh, and for your family, hopefully your babies will follow yes. in your footsteps, but for other, you know, aspiring um, young black entrepreneurs in particular, mm -hmm. um, what do you think this, or how do you want this accomplishment to to inspire them and, and help them to understand, you know, that they can kind of take control of their dreams and their career mm -hmm. in, in the way that you have? 
Just because you don't see someone that mm. looks like you in the room mm -hmm. does not mean that you're not welcome. Mm. Mm. So apply anyway. I apply for things that I don't qualify for. And mm -hmm. a lot of times I get it because the people that did qualify didn't apply. Mm -hmm. So I always teach people because I am a consultant. I am right. a teacher outside of this. And you've been doing you've been in business for about 15 years yeah. as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Even though I'm 20. But, right. Yeah. Know. 25. Uh, yeah. Okay. Now, yeah. that'll, that'll make it work a little, yeah. much better. A little better. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, but, but in reality, though, we just want to inspire people mm -hmm. to, you know, step outside of the box. Um, you know, understand that again, if just because you mm -hmm. think that you don't qualify, apply mm -hmm. anyway, mm -hmm. just because you think, you know, I don't see people that look like me. First, that shouldn't even matter. Yeah. That didn't matter in my decision. Don't I didn't stop know you or deter you. I didn't know I was the first anything mm -hmm. until after the fact. Wow. So that didn't have anything to do with this process. Yeah. Get into this uh, Little Caesars menu. Right yeah, look, so I know that Ugh. Little Caesars has been a brand that's been in your house yeah. yes. for half your life, uh, all 15 years of yeah. that first half See? of that life there. Uh, but what do we have here on the table? Um, we have the staple product, the hot and ready. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this is just your pepperoni and cheese pizza. Um, we have Italian cheese bread with Italian seasonings. Mm. Okay. So Very nice. You can dip that in your marinara sauce. You don't have you to like tell that. me twice. <laughs> and, and then you have your wings. You can get them plain like this. Mm -hmm. You can get them with These buffalo are good. sauce, really well. barbecue sauce, mm -hmm. garlic parm. Um, and then your breadsticks. Mm -hmm. So I've seen you were dipping those yeah, in the marinara yeah. sauce. That's you know, this really is good. This, this are the Little Caesars classics. Yes. The breadsticks. Always known for the breadsticks. So Always good. good. Yeah. And then, you know, this hot and ready, mm -hmm. I think is one of the best inventions ever. It is. You know, you're running late on a school night. You know, you don't want to be bothered. You pick up that hot and ready for like $5 and it is hot and ready and you done fed the whole block, basically. I had a lady last night. She came <laughs> really after is. closing. Uh-huh. And I was like, well, I still do have some pizzas left. Let me, you know, she's like, oh, my God, you saved the day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't think a pizza would qualify as, you know, saving the day. Mm -hmm. But she was very, very happy. Anything particular on the menu that you like? Um, I like the Fanceroni. What is that? So it's a spicier mm -hmm. um, pepperoni. Mm -hmm. Is that? Oh, it's a okay. limited time. So mm -hmm. you don't see it all the time. We mm -hmm. did just bring back the um, the pretzel pizza. OK, OK. So it has nacho cheese. Was that a hit? It is. Okay. It's, it's going faster than the hot and ready's right now. Mm -hmm. So the deep dish, Detroit style, mm -hmm. that's another big staple. Yeah. So future plans, you've already established this one location. We need, we need more <laughs> sisters like you out there. You know, future plans, you know, I'm more franchises. I'm thinking about it. You be, you, what you think? I'm thinking about it. This was just yeah. literally a birthday gift. So my birthday is uh, coming up again next month. So, okay. Okay. so I might have something franchise. new. There I don't go. know. Something else in the works. I have to come back and tell you guys about it. I, yeah. I, I do want to say this because uh, years ago, um, in my single life, I used to have guys over, we used to watch the game, and we would get the bacon-wrapped crust yeah. around the Little Caesars. If you guys can find a way to bring that back, okay, I would be very appreciative. I'm gonna yeah. send an email. Yeah. yeah. Before we let you go, we know you're a financial expert as well. We're yes. in the midst of tax season. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the biggest mistakes you think the soulmates, the culture makes when it comes to our finances and, and how we go about managing those. So. Um, I'll give two tips. Okay. Um, because we got to pay you for doing no, no, okay. not today. Not today. All the, all the house, everybody. Yeah. Here we go. Not today. Um, okay. Ooh, a couple of tips. things, especially with business owners, mm -hmm. file the correct numbers. Oh. 
don't chase the refund. Mm -hmm. You owe the IRS, pay the IRS. Mm -hmm. The second thing is when you file your taxes, make sure that you read the bottom where you sign and make sure if you're going to a preparer that that preparer's name is on the on that mm -hmm. tax return. Because mm -hmm. a lot of times you'll go to someone and then it'll say self-prepared. Right. Like you prepared it mm -hmm. when in reality you actually paid somebody yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. Lastly. Okay. <laughs> Come on, Ebony. Give the pandemic to taught us to have an emergency fund. Oh. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. A lot of people had a lot of crisis financially because they weren't prepared. Mm -hmm. Right. Financially. Mm -hmm. So this year, let's get us a emergency fund. Yep. And, you know, Brandon and Ebby, we were just talking about uh, a couple of shows ago how black people are the ones being, you know, called out. And, and the government and the IRS is either knocking yeah. or, or, or calling uh, wanting to review our taxes because sometimes we're a little ill-prepared yes. with, with how we've gone about them. So that's some great advice. Girl, I'm so happy and proud of you. I don't know what <laughs> to do as a, as a native Detroiter. You know, this is just awesome and amazing. And uh, we just honor you today. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, absolutely. I feel honored. We appreciate it. You're throwing honor. down over here. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm letting you handle, giving her her flowers. I need the pizza. Absolutely. All right, for the full rundown on today's uh, stories and, and, and all of this Little Caesars information, by way of my girl, uh, Ebony, you can access Fox Hills Video On Demand on any of our partners, access past shows, all that content. Don't forget to download the Fox Hill app. It is absolutely free. Thank you so much oh, for joining no. us today. And guys. for lunch, we appreciate you. Brandon, we always hey, appreciate hey, you. Thank you. Man. Especially when you got food. So, Indeed. Hey, we appreciate that. I'm Courtney Hicks. I'm Brandon Hudson. Thanks for watching Fox Souls Black Report. We about to throw down. <laughs> <laughs>